Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 10 of Greens with Envy, our monthly podcast where Guy and I talk about where we've been, what we've done, who we've seen, and then relay all those stories to you. I'm Matt Lowell, the managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine. Alongside me, my co-host, Guy Cipriano, editor of the magazine. Guy, back from nearly a week out on the Atlantic coast. How are you feeling? Great. It was an awesome trip. Most people visit the Northeast in the summer. I got to do it in the later stages of winter, and it was an awesome experience being up in New England and not seeing like piles of snow on the ground this time. Yeah, you go to the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation conference and show pretty much every year, and this year there was no blizzard, you said, unlike previous years. No blizzard, no deep freeze, and it was awesome uh, flying into Providence Green Airport Last Tuesday, seeing turf, we flew over probably like a dozen golf courses as we landed, uh, got some pictures of them, and it was the first time, this is my fourth time going up to it, and it was the first time that I actually saw turf while landing at Providence Green. It was cool as heck. Rhode Island is awesome. Providence is great. It's one of my favorite events of the year, and I'll just go on the record saying that I enjoy the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation Conference and Show and the Carolinas GCSA Show more than I enjoy the golf industry show. They're both great events. They're tailored to the needs of attendees. They're affordable for people to attend in those regions. The people that run those events are awesome. And Myrtle Beach has the whole golf beach scene, although the beach scene is a little bit dead in November. Providence is a wonderful downtown, cool city. I really want to visit Rhode Island in the summer at one point. Every year I leave this thing saying, hey, I'm going to make it to Rhode Island this summer, and it just doesn't play out. But if you're anywhere in the neighborhood of Providence and Myrtle Beach, attend those two regional shows. They are the two best regional shows in the country, and that's not coming from me. That's coming from a lot of the exhibitors who attend conference and shows all over the place. If you're in the business, uh, uh, Providence and Myrtle Beach are the two places you want to be, and they're kind of spread out. Nicely with the Carolinas GCSA show kicking off the indoor season, the conference and show season in November, and it kind of ends in March with with the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation conference and show in Providence. So it's kind of a nice end to the show season for us. You have a great line. It's actually the first line in the story you posted on golfcourseindustry.com about the show, your dispatch from your days out there, the biggest city in the smallest state. I'd never heard Providence described like that. I loved it. I thought it summed up perfectly. Simple math, right? Rhode Island's uh, only 1,200 square miles and a couple hundred thousand people live in Providence. So, yep, it's the capital. It's the biggest city in, in the smallest state. And it's one of the most densely populated states. And it's densely populated with golf courses, too. This was the 23rd annual New England show. You have now been to, you said, four of them. What were your takeaways this year from previous years? What was different in 2020? Well, it was warmer. You were able to go outside without out freezing, which was great. But you can actually go to this show without having to go outside. If you stay in the Omni Hotel, that's connected to the convention center, which is connected to a mall. So you could conceivably go to Providence and never go outside and attend the show and have places to eat and have a place to sleep. So it's pretty amazing. It's also connected to the Dunkin' Donuts Center, which is the big arena in Providence. It's the biggest arena in the state of Rhode Island. And when I was there, there was actually a big college basketball game going on between Providence College and Xavier University. But no, it's um, it's a, it's a really cool place. You, you would probably never think to go to Providence in your own life, but when you get a chance to do it 
in your work life, you're like, dang, I was really missing out, never having been to the city. Any seminars, any conversations that you may not have written about in your story on the website? Well, the, the seminars and education are great. They're always tailored towards the issues or potential issues that superintendents and sports turf managers and landscape contractors in New England face. They do an excellent job of really targeting the education. But to me, the most valuable conversation I had was it was in the hallway and I was talking to uh, Stephen Tibbles, who is the superintendent at a public course between Cape Cod and Providence. I know I'm going to butcher it called Ashnut River Valley Golf Course. And I met Stephen at the Sagenna Business Institute at the end of 2018. I saw him at the New England event last year and I saw him again. And I was working on my column or story about the show. And I knew that he'd be a good person to talk to because he's been around. He's very, uh, vocal. He's into telling the story of the industry and, and helping others. So I sat down with him at a table outside the uh, the trade show floor in the, in the lobby area that people are walking by and we're having a great conversation. And then a few other people walked by, uh, William Morton, a retired R- Rhode Island superintendent who's on the board of directors of the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation, and Mel Lucas Jr., who Mel Lucas Jr. is a past GCSA president who was responsible for the creation of the old Tom Morris Award. So started talking to them. And then uh, another person who's attended pretty much every New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation conference and show comes by, and that was Don Hearn. And Don Hearn is another past president of the GCSAA. And it was funny, Mel and Don start talking. They've known each other for years. And I, I said, can I get a picture of the four of you together? And uh, Mel and Don joke, he goes, well, yeah, well, we've had our tiffs or our quarrels over the years, but we're, we're, we're good now. And they, they hugged for this picture with uh, William Morton and Stephen Tibbles. And that was great. And we were talking about the history of the show and the, the, the history of the New England Regional Turf Grass Foundation and the great job that Executive Director Gary Sykes and show and event director David Rosenberg do. We're having this conversation, the four of us. And then over walks Tim Hires, the legendary Florida superintendent. He was presenting at the uh, seminar earlier in the week about sustainability. And, you know, Tim comes up and greets us and says hello. And, and Tim's a you know recent USGA green section award winner. So really you had some Titans of the industry there. We're just all shooting the breeze. I'm working on this column. I'm like, I mean, th- this is really, really gold. And it, I, I believe it was the first time Tim had ever presented at the new England event. His words to me were it's an, it's an impressive event. And, you know, for someone like Tim Harris to, to lot an event like that, you know, it's really something special because Tim is uh, seen almost everything in, in, in this industry. And so is Mel and, Mel and Don and, and Stephen and William Morton. So I was really kind of out of my league there having this conversation, but it was great for column writing purposes. And it shows the spirit of the show. I mean, and the spirit of golf course maintenance in New England, it's really a compact place, right? It's the tiny upper right-hand corner of this vast country, but there's a lot of industry influence there uh, as evidenced by just talking to, bumping into two past GCSA presidents and it really is that unique feel. Golf is a big business in New England, but it still has that quaint feel where these people know each other and they feel c- connected to each other. It's that old New England kind of village feeling, like when the Red Sox win yeah. the World Series, well, when they win the World Series, when they almost won the World Series in 1975, when uh, there was the famous Game 6 homer by Carlton Fisk and Peter Gammons writes his uh, column for the Boston Globe after the store, after the game, and he writes about 
was it? I can't remember the exact church bells, but the church bells in all the New England villages are are ringing. There's this. I don't know. Is there more of this community sense, this community feel? Because there are these older. It's tough to villages. tell because really, my my only experiences going to New England are for this event, and then for uh, two of my cousins got married in Connecticut. Uh, a few years ago, and that was back-to-back summers. I really need to get up to New England for this job in the summer at one point to see what it's like and probably need to get outside the cities of Providence and Boston and see some of these quaint towns. I'd love to get onto uh, Cape Cod and see some of the golf courses there or Martha's Vineyard. Actually, the uh, the Vineyard Golf Club is one of the golf courses we're focusing on in, in our sponsored package with CPRO about zeofungicide, the, the Vineyard Golf Club on Martha's Vineyard cannot use traditional pesticides, so they have to use all OMRI-listed products. And that's another interesting thing. When you go to the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation and show, there are some really highly regulated places like Martha's Vineyard in New England. The political climate's a little bit different than it is in other parts of the country. So there are there are golf courses in that region that, that can't certain things. So they need education and product product offerings that are tailored to them. And some of those superintendents do go to the show to, to, to get that information. But I don't know if it feels quaint or not. We, we had a running group that ran through the streets of Providence each morning. Uh, John Jennings, the superintendent at Shinnecock Hills Golf Club on Long Island, who hosted the U.S. Open a few years ago, is an avid runner, and he's very good at getting people together to run. So we, we he led a running group both mornings through the streets of Providence, and it's pretty darn hilly. And we went past uh, Brown University, and you do see the old brick homes and, and the churches and government buildings that look like they've been there for 150 years. So it does have that, that, that old school vibe when, when you're running through the city. Only 150 years. You go through Boston, it's like 400 years. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of history up there. You go to other parts of the country, and most of the uh, history, especially in the South, has happened in the last uh, 150 years or even 100 years out out west. And up there, there there are things that happened 200, 300 years ago that that shaped the future of this country. So. We're agreed we'll get you back to New England in a warmer time period. Maybe if we both continue to get in better running shape, we can uh, hit up Boston on Patriots Day and uh, and run the Boston Marathon at some point. Got to qualify for that. Yeah, that I've heard stories about that, and obviously it's pretty fierce to get into that. But if yeah. I could run any marathon, Matt, I think it would be one that's a bit – south of there. I think I would do New York City before I did Boston. I probably just turned off all of our New England listeners by saying that, but that would be the marathon that I'd really like to do because I don't think you could drive those neighborhoods in New York City in four and a half hours, but you could <laughs> run them and see the, you know every borough in the city without traffic or congestion in less than five hours. It's a conversation for another day, but Boston, uh, Big Sur, and Grandma's Marathon in, in Minnesota. Those are on my that, that's your top three. list right now. And I know some of the superintendents and other people in the industry that we uh, ran with in those two mornings on Providence ha- have run marathons before, and they're hardcore up there. If you, don't, if you don't keep up, you're not with the group anymore. That's a little <laughs> bit different than other parts of the country. That's, a, that's that Northeast mentality. Everybody's in a hurry. It's, it's intense, and it, it's cool to see, and that's one of the beauties of traveling around for this job and seeing different parts of the country is that there's a different – vibe and mentality in the Northeast compared to the Southeast. And the Southeast is different than the Midwest. And the Midwest is different than the the mountain region. And the Pacific Northwest is different than California, which is different than the Northeast. So that's one of the things when you really get to travel a lot for work or per, in your personal life, you really do 
realize that how big this country is and how different people are in different different regions and th- th- that's cool to see and there's no no regions any better with how it handles things than than another one it's just it's just there, there's a lot of differences in this country and that's cool and you look at what we cover golf course maintenance there are a lot of different ways to handle a crew there's a lot of different ways to handle turf but when you look at it when you when you go across this country they all get to the same great results somehow now outside the show did you See any courses you want to talk about? Did you do anything outside of the show? Uh, you're you're big into running and hiking. Anything up there uh, on the way back? Anything outside there? So before leaving for Providence, and I was flying southwest, and I had to get a rental car for something that I did during the back half of the trip, I saw the weather, and I'm like, looks like it's going to be in the 50s on, on Thursday. So knowing that I was on southwest, and you get th- those two bags for free. And I didn't want to, you know, jack up our corporate expense account too much. I'm like, I'm going to bring the golf clubs. What the heck? I've never played golf in Rhode Island. It looks like it might be warm enough after the show ends on Thursday afternoon. So I did bring the golf clubs and I got to play a Donald Ross course. There are a lot of Donald Ross courses in Rhode Island. I believe there's 11 of them is, is the last official count I saw. So 58 golf courses in Rhode Island and 11 were designed by Donald Ross, including one that was only two miles from downtown called Triggs Memorial Golf Course, which is a municipal golf course. It was packed. I got there around noon on a beautiful Thursday, low 50s. It was packed, but they let me play the back nine walking, and it was awesome. And you could see the Donald Ross in it. It was only $18 to walk nine holes. Uh, they do over 50,000 rounds a year, and it's easy to, to see why. Uh, it's got a lot of Ross characteristics. It's got elevation. The greens were already in great shape for, for March. I mean, I had an absolute blast playing nine holes there, and I, I got out of there. I went to Federal Hill, and I had some pizza because I didn't have Italian the whole trip, so I had some pizza at a place called uh, Cecilia's Pizzeria, Federal Hill. If you're not familiar with Providence's, Providence's Little Italy – and the locals up there like to say that it's as good a, of an Italian food scene as almost anywhere in the United States. That's probably highly debatable. We have a little Italy here in Cleveland. There's a little Italy, I believe, in New York City. A bunch of other cities have a little Italy. So I, I eat this giant stuffed pizza to get my Italian fix. And I had to drive to Westchester County, New York for a project, which we're not going to go into too many details here. It's kind of secretive here for us at Golf Course Industry, but you'll be hearing and reading more about it. So on my drive to West, Westchester County, New York, I'm kind of feeling bloated. It's around, I think it was around 3 p.m. It was still sunny out, still in the 50s. I get about 20 miles outside of Providence, and I type in golf courses nearby. And I ended up at a place called North Kingston Golf Course, a municipal golf course in southern Rhode Island. And I walked nine more holes, played, played the front nine of that golf course. So I got 18 holes in on two municipal courses. And here's the thing about North Kingston golf course. It was a really an, an industrial area. You could see a pl- plastics factory from the uh, from a lot of the holes, including r- right when you get to the first green. It was designed by Walter Irving Johnson Jr. Probably not a lot of our listeners are familiar with that name, but Walter Irving Johnson Jr. was an associate of Donald Ross, who did, I believe, two or three courses on his own from what I've heard and read, and one of them was North Kingstown Golf Course, a municipal golf course that does 
over 40,000 rounds a year. That wasn't as crowded as Triggs Memorial Golf Course, but it was a cool layout. Uh, it didn't really have the Ross elements that you would expect from what the people in the pro shop told me. It was redone in the 60s. It was still a fine place to play golf. It had some cool wetlands in, a, in an industrial area. It had a driving range. It looked like it had a flourishing restaurant where people people leave these factories and go right to dinner and uh, maybe have some drinks there at the at the clubhouse. So really a working person's municipal golf course in a in an area that seemed pretty gritty to me. So it was cool to get those two golf experiences in Rhode Island and get my golf fix in before heading to Westchester County, New York for this super secret project. So money well spent is what you're saying to bring your clubs with you. Well, it was free because it was Southwest. Oh, it was your second bag? Yep. Oh, okay. So that, yeah, if anyone is listening to this, and fly south, southwest and is in the golf business or loves to play golf, just bring your golf clubs. If you're bringing one check bag, you might as well bring your golf clubs if you're going to be getting a rental car. You never know what, what type of free time you might have. Uh, people say they don't have time for golf when they travel, but if you care enough about it and value seeing other golf courses, which is something that makes you really successful in this job and industry, you'll find time to do it no matter how busy you are. And you'll gain something huge from it. I mean, I got to I got to spend some time with New England New Englanders at Triggs Memorial Golf Course who absolutely have a a love for this golf course. It's in the Mount Pleasant section of, of Providence, and it was just so cool to see those people and see how excited they were to to play their golf course because there's some Donald Ross golf courses in Rhode Island that are among the best in the country, really top 100, top 200 type courses that not everybody has access to, but some of the same architectural intent that Donald Ross had for these private country clubs. He had for Triggs Memorial Golf Course. So it's really a chance to to play a architecturally incredible golf course for a very reasonable price. And people take great pride in having that in their city. You have a lot more travel coming up soon. I have quite a bit of travel coming up soon. By the time this podcast drops, uh, I'll be on a plane heading to San Antonio for a reporting trip. We did get to one other spot uh, since the last Greens with Envy, and that was, it was a fun, to a degree, bittersweet visit uh, to our friends in Toledo Hills Forest, Smith, uh, Steve and Sean out there. They aren't closing. If, if you missed the story on the website, the firm itself is not closing, but they are moving out of their headquarters, and you got an invitation to go to their estate sale, uh, saw a bunch of posters and lots of other golf memorabilia so so many sketches and blueprints years and decades of of just a, an enormous golf collection and we probably spent what about a hundred dollars on golf books which are in a box at our feet right now so we can go through them yeah you're right matt you wrote an excellent story about this it was bitter sweet there were a lot of memories in that office art hills i believe started it in the late 60s or, mm-hmm. or early 70s you know he now spends most of his time in naples florida i believe he's like in his 90s and he, he's got the nickname the mayor of naples because he designed so many golf courses down there during the uh, the golf boom and even before the golf boom he was really in in on the naples scene before uh, many other architects but he, he his design firm was based in uh, toledo ohio and at one point, there were over a dozen people that worked there during the um, late 90s and early 2000s, and they were doing projects all over the world. We got to see sketches of courses in China that never got built that, w- that were really cool and would have been really cool. We saw sketches of American golf courses that never got built. 
when the recession happened, the, the firm and the, the scope of their work changed, but they're still going strong. Steve Forrest and Sean Smith are still doing projects all over the place. I think they have somewhere between a, a half dozen and a, a dozen active projects or master plans. So they're doing well in this uh, new golf economy. They're going into home offices. In fact, you know, I'd say the majority of our golf course architect friends now work out of home offices. That's just the nature of the business. You're not going to have those big firms that are global anymore. It's just, it's changed. It's become more customized, more boutique type work, which is uh, great for clients because they get to spend more time with the architects on site. And it's probably great for the architects too, because they're not balancing two dozen projects and they can spend more time on site doing the things that they really like to do. So they were clearing out the offices and it was really like a mini golf museum. I had a chance to visit it a few years ago and you're walking through it and you're like, man, look at some of those cool pictures and books and sketches and office things they have such as drafting boards and yeah we had a chance to go before the uh, estate sale opened to the public and we had a great visit with steve and sean and yeah we we came back with quite the haul before we get into the books one super fun fact and i'm sure some folks listening know this but art hills there was a, a plaque on the wall of maybe four dozen clowns face paint hats uh full clown suits arranged on a big staircase and i bought it for a dollar Art Hills is in that photo. Art Hills, on a side job, his side hustle was clowning. He was a clown, literally a clown. I love that. And there were so many impressive things in there. We're speaking of Donald Ross and his presence in Rhode Island. He also had a great presence in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And one of his most notable, perhaps his most notable design in Ohio is Inverness Club in Toledo, which has hosted numerous major championships And one of the things they found, and Art Hills had done some work at Inverness over the years, is when cleaning out the office, they found a sketch from the late 1960s or early 1970s. I'm not exactly sure when when the time frame was that that Pete Dye did some sketches and holes and routings for Inverness Club. Very cool. There was no signed uh, Donald Ross hot dog bun at Tony Paco's, though. Disappointed in that. Yeah, if you don't know what Tony Paco's is, you, you feel like all we do is drive around, collect books, play golf, and eat. And we do much more than that, trust me. But the, we, we like to have some fun and experience the places that we go and see in our work travels. Uh, Tony Paco's is a very popular Eastern European hot dog joint in Toledo. And on the walls, they have signed hot dog buns from some of the notable people that have been through there. And on the golf end, I saw one from Byron Nelson, who Byron Nelson was the pro at Inverness Club at mm-hmm. one point and caught a exhibition game for the Toledo Mudhens. He was a really good athlete, and the Toledo Mudhens are a minor league baseball team that's probably been around for what we talk about things that have been around for ever. Toledo seem- seemingly has always had mm-hmm. a minor league baseball team with one of the great nicknames, but Byron Nelson in an exhibition game caught for them. He must have visited Tony Paco's because they have a signed hot dog in his name. They also had a lot of LPGA players because Toledo has a huge LPGA heritage. And I saw, saw a hot dog signed by Suri Pack, the, L, the World Golf Hall of Famer. So really cool place. That's kind of when – you, when you say you're going to Toledo, people ask, are you going to Paco's? And we went to Paco's. All right. Enough clowning, enough hot dogs. Let's go through some of these books. This is going to make for tremendous audio. You picked out most of these. I picked out a few. Uh, here's James B. Beard's Turf Management. For golf courses, I feel like this would make a great textbook for most uh, college students and, and folks in the in the field. Well, it, it's referred to as the Bible. If, yeah. if you're in turf management, that's the 
you know, some people would say that's the one book you have to have. Here's one you picked out, Matt. It's Spiral Bound. You can't get lost on a golf course. The Wanderings of a Mathematical Mind in Retirement by Professor Golf. It looked so random I had to pick it up. And it, like it was, like you said, it was a dollar or two. I have no idea who Professor Golf is. This does look like something you would pick out, Matt. And heck, it was only a dollar, so I'm sure we'll enjoy going through it at some point. You picked out a couple of programs, uh, the 1985 and the 1989 NEC World Series of Golf from Firestone. I know you have a soft spot in your heart for that event. Rest in peace. Yep, Firestone's right down the road for us. It's an incredible place. Larry Napore and team do an awesome job of maintaining it. And, yeah, I picked up these programs from the old NEC World Series of Golf. It was it was cool. Uh, I have thumbed through these already. And it, it some of these old golf programs, it's, it's kind of funny. You, you look at them, and you'll see ads for turf equipment. You certainly don't see that in U.S. Open or PGA Championship programs these days. Let's see. I picked up a uh, program from 1972. This was actually... I think Steve said this was his first or one of his first events that he attended. Uh, the Liggett and Myers Open and the Tournament Players U.S. Professional Match Play Championship uh, from the Country Club of North Carolina, Pinehurst, 1972. I picked it up basically because there were great old ads, uh, a Dan Jenkins piece, a Jim Murray piece. Uh, it looked it looked tremendous and well worth the three or five bucks or whatever it was. This is another one that Matt picked up that we had already had on our bookshelf, but Matt, I think, wanted one with a cover instead of one that was just kind of had a bland red cover. Uh, Scotland's Gift, How America Discovered Golf by none other than C.B. McDonald. I had to pick up the 1982 uh, Pine Valley Golf Club, a chronicle. Uh, I think it was $8 as the club logo right on the hardcover uh, imprinted in there. Haven't had a chance to really go through it, but should be a lot of fun. That's one that's tough to find. That's one that probably doesn't get outside the Pine Valley Golf Club gates too often. One that I picked up because it was near and dear to me, A Century of Golf in Western Pennsylvania, basically a history of the Western Pennsylvania Golf Association. I grew up in the, the Pittsburgh suburbs. I caddied in some WPGA events growing up, and – I also played in a few of the junior ones, so this is uh, brought back. It's bringing back a lot of memories. Uh, the hundredth anniversary of the WPGA was in 1999, which was the year after I graduated from high school. And yeah, this has brought back a lot of memories seeing some of the names of the people and, and courses. Oh, I picked this one up. You you said you already had a copy. Um, I was like, well, maybe I'll take it home. It's uh, Stephen Goodwin's Dream Golf: The Making of Bandon Dunes, which I've never been out there. Uh, would love to. Uh, Get out there at some point and, and see what they're doing and, and read about the history of the making of that wonderful complex. This is another one that's near and dear to me. Oakmont, a history of the Western Pennsylvania Club by Marino Paracenzo, who was the longtime golf writer at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I actually got my start to golf by going to the 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont. I, I've caddied there. I I got a chance to play there a few years ago. I got to cover a U.S. Open there. Oakmont will always be a special place in my life be, because that's where it all started with me with this passion for golf. My dad in 1994 asked me if I wanted to go to this golf tournament that he had tickets for or Kennywood Day with my classmates. Kennywood is an amusement park in western Pennsylvania. I said, you know what, I'm a sports fan. I'll go to the, to the golf tournament. It was the Friday round of the 1994 U.S. Open. It was Arnold Palmer's last U.S. Open round, and that's what got me hooked on this game, and that that passion now is that's 26 years ago. Oh, my God. Middle school guy, not even high school at that point. I was getting ready to 
going yeah. to high school. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I have a, an affinity for just old fiction. Uh, so this is Great Golf Stories with stories by J.M. Barry, famous for uh, creating Peter Pan. Um, A.A. Milne, creator of Winnie the Pooh, John Updike, and of course, uh, P.G. Woodhouse, who created Jeeves. So again, haven't had a chance to go through that, but should be a lot of fun. This is another one that Matt picked up that we had, but Matt wanted a trend. Matt wanted another copy of it apparently, and I think it was only a dollar. Building a practical golf facility: a step-by-step guide to realizing a dream by our friend Dr. Michael Hertzan, who's been on the Tartan Talks podcast twice. Uh, Dr. Hertzan has books all over the place, and Dr. Hertzan, you know, Matt and I are we're, we're acting like we're these big time golf book collectors, but we're really in the infant stages of it. Dr. Hertzan's been doing it for decades, and he may have the best private golf book collection I've ever seen. And he also has written a few books, including this one. Yeah, nobody is coming to Northeast Ohio to come look at our collection. Although, if you are in the area and you'd like to stop by, you're you're certainly welcome. Yeah, we're probably the, some of the youngest people that that collect golf books. My favorite find, and I think this was eight dollars. Um, it's the dust jacket's a little tattered. I didn't care. I love Sports Illustrated. I've always loved Sports Illustrated. I've had a subscription since I was twelve, and I'm thirty six now. Breaks my heart that it's a monthly at this point. But this was. Dan Jenkins's The Best 18 Golf Holes in America. This was originally in the magazine uh, as a two-issue series, and I had no idea it was made into a book in 19... cost thirteen fifty at the time. 1966. So cool photography, a bunch of Dan Jenkins pros uh, when he was really swinging and just hitting everything. Uh, really excited to start reading this because uh, Dan Jenkins is probably... You know, the late great, one of my favorite writers. Yeah, they're great golf books everywhere. There might not be a sport besides maybe baseball, Matt, that's had more written about it than golf. And I, I would suggest that if you're a golf course superintendent, uh, read some of these books, especially, you know, obviously read the, the, the turf grass maintenance books, and there are a lot of them out there. And we found out in our visit to Pinehurst when we ran into uh, Mr. Hansen, who runs – the old golf shop that, that literally called the old golf that, shop. That there's a huge run right now on turf grass maintenance books amongst not people in the industry, but people that play golf are starting to collect them and read them. So there are all these resources out there. Reading will never go out of style. Uh, there are a lot of golf history books, there are club history books, there are history of the game books, and anything you can do to expand your golf knowledge will make you more marketable. As a golf course superintendent, it'll make you more relatable to some of your, your your members or customers. Because why are people coming to a golf course, Matt? To play. Because they love this game, right? Yeah. Like, why take four and a half hours out of your day to hit a ball around? It's because you have a passion for it and you love it, and and it's a release. And you know that's the one thing that a superintendent will always have in common with golfers. You can go to any club in America, you could go to clubs where there's seven-figure initiation fees. Everyone there owns four or five homes and eight or nine cars and yachts and planes. But golf really does put you on a common ground with a lot of the people that you deal with in this industry. You picked up a few more books out when you were east. I picked up another one in the mail today. Do you want to go through those or no? Uh, We might as well. I'll go through the one that came in the mail for me today. Just arrived. I ordered it last week. It's for a project I have upcoming soon. Uh, Rick Brown published this, I think, just last year. 
working with the Iowa Golf Association. Golden Harvest, Iowa's rich golf history, 500-page tome on a history of golf in the Hawkeye State. Uh, I'm going to take this on the plane with me tomorrow and probably try to get through at least 100 or 200 pages in the next few days. Um, Really, really looking forward to it. If you have any interest, if you're from the Midwest or uh, you have any interest in the Midwest, again, I haven't started it, so I can't definitively recommend it, but it looks tremendous. I'm really, really excited to get going. And if you have any Iowans or Iowa fans, uh, hey, it makes a great gift. You can order directly from the Iowa Golf Association. I ordered it, I think, on Thursday, and it got here within four days. So, Did I tell our listeners how much I love going to Providence yet? Because I think I pretty much made that clear, but I'm going to make that even clearer. I don't know if you did. And one of the other reasons why I really love going to the show is that there's a great bookstore about two blocks from the Rhode Island Convention Center called Cellar bookstores, I believe. And they have about three shelves of golf books. And I picked up three this year. I picked up Tiptoeing Through Hell, Playing the U.S. Open on Golf's Most Treacherous Courses by John Stregge. And one of the reasons I picked it up is because there's a chapter on the super secret Westchester County visit, the facility that we went to see there. Hmm. I picked up Great Golf Courses of the World, by William H. Davis and the editors of Golf Digest. This was published in 1974. Uh, Some great stuff in here about golf course architecture and methodology, and there are chapters and photos of numerous courses that would be familiar to our listeners. Also picked up the Golfer's Home Companion. I don't know if they're trying to compete with, who is it, Garrison Keeler with the Prairie Home Companion? I don't know. Maybe (laughs) that's where the, the, the name of this book was inspired by... Robin McMillan, there's writing in here from people like Thomas Boswell and Mike Royko, their tips, their course listings, and I believe this one came out in the early to mid-90s. 93, I think. Yeah, so a lot has changed since then, but a lot has remained the same. And then on a long drive home on Saturday, I found a bookstore in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, a used bookstore, and I picked up Strokes of Genius by Thomas Boswell, and looking forward to reading these. Some of these probably won't get read for for years, but we have them. We're accumulating this big collection. We have boxes now in the golf course industry office, but bookshelves a great thing to have. Nobody ever said, I didn't get anything from reading or I, I, I read too much. That uh, Golfer's Home Companion, by the way, I searched out the Mike Royko column because I am originally from Chicago. I grew up on the South Side and moved when I was a kid. And I always have a soft spot for Royko because he was tremendous. The Mike Royko story in there it was a reprinted column from when he was at the Tribune. I think it was from 1979. And it just cracked me up because he was so funny when he wanted to be. And it is about what was a novel concept at the time, uh, turning what is described in the column as bull pizzles into uh, various things like walking sticks and golf club grips. Have you ever played with a bull pizzle gripped golf club? No, I think I've only played with golf pride gripped <laughs> golf clubs. Ending the episode on bull pizzles, which is just funny to say. Thanks to everyone for listening. And one of the reasons why we we started this podcast was to kind of inspire people, at Matt, to take journeys of their own or to explore some of the things they maybe get to see at home or away from home. And that's certainly what we've done on our recent trips with the the books and the playing golf and it all ties back to what we do at golf course industry we're getting story ideas from these books we're getting story ideas from seeing some of these golf courses so our, our travel is definitely done with a purpose and it's amazing what you can learn and see when you just stray a little bit from 
the convention center or your hotel or the restaurant you have dinner at, if you just go a little bit off that path, you can run into some awesome things that can help you. I think that's all I got. That's it. Matt's hitting the road tomorrow. I'm hitting the road again next week. We have a lot of travel coming up, so it's going to be a a fun few months for us. And thanks to everybody for listening. This is our 10th episode. We've reached double digits, and we're looking forward to to getting to 11 and then 12 and 13. And we're going to keep this thing going until our bosses say, stop this fun. Yeah. Uh, Our March issue should be in the mail shortly. Our April issue is in production now. A lot of great stories in both. Look for those uh, in the physical copies and then online, golfcourseindustry.com. He's Guy. I'm Matt. Thank you so much for listening to Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network.